What's impressive to you? Uh, if you think about your life, think about the things you've seen in your life, the things you've experienced, what is impressive? Uh, you know, there's a number of things I've seen that I think are quite impressive. Uh, I'm always impressed by people who can do things that I can't do. Uh, back when we were living in Texas, I had the opportunity to go to a Dallas Mavericks basketball game, uh, and I watched Dirk play basketball. Okay, which if you follow basketball at all, you know he's like, you know, about eight feet tall and can dribble the ball like a kid who's about this tall and just handles a ball in ways that are just fascinating. Okay, one of the best to play the game. That's impressive. You ever see a professional athlete at the top of his game? I can't do that, right? It's impressive. You know, I've also been to musical performances like the opera or the symphony. And if you've ever watched a master musician do his craft, okay, that's impressive. They make it look effortless, right? And the most beautiful music comes out. Again, I can't do that. It's impressive. Uh, back when I was 15 years old, I worked at a professional theater. Um, and I got to do, you know, set construction and things like that. And while we were working at this professional theater, we had a professional tap dancer come in and do a show. And that may not be your thing, right? That's probably not my preferred mode of entertainment. Uh, but watching a guy that can move his feet faster than you can watch is impressive. Okay? That guy was good. You know, I'm also regularly impressed by our technology uh, when it works, Right? I was getting frustrated this week because so much of our stuff isn't working, like our internet and whatever. Uh, and then I had to have a reality check. And remember, when my dad was first getting into ministry, he didn't have a computer to write sermons on, right? Uh, but then I think about the things I can do with my phone, okay, that are more complicated than anything that existed when dad was first starting out in his ministry. You think about all the amazing technological advancements we've had just in the past 35, 40 years. Okay, that's impressive, Right? You know, and then, of course, I am personally impressed by our medical technology. Uh, my son, who's sitting right over there with the Dittmans, um, he has blood only flowing through two chambers of his heart. Okay, his heart didn't work right when he was born. They rewired it so that he's only pumping blood through half of his heart, two of the four chambers. The fact that they can do that is amazing. Okay, that's impressive. Okay, what impresses you? What's impressive to you? Uh, back in the first century, they had some pretty impressive stuff back when this letter to the Corinthians was written. You know, the temple in Jerusalem was one of the most impressive buildings in the entire ancient world. Anyone who saw that would immediately be in awe of the engineering that went into crafting that building. We still to this day don't know how Herod the Great moved some of the rocks that he moved to make his buildings and do things like improve the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, it was impressive. Uh, in Rome itself, they had things like the Great Circus for chariot racing, uh, one of the most impressive buildings in the ancient world. Also, the Colosseum, parts of which are still standing today. If you could have seen that back in its glory, they built a theater in the ancient world capable of holding enough water to have naval battles in it as entertainment. The fact that they could do that back then is seriously impressive, right? Buildings like the Imperial Palace and the Senate Building would have been amazing. You know, in Corinth, where this letter is written, uh, they prided themselves on being a very modern Roman city. Many of the buildings that lined the main street through ancient Corinth would be impressive even by today's standards, much less when you consider what they had to work with. It's impressive. 
You know, Rome just by itself as an empire was extremely impressive. They'd conquered more of the world than anybody cared about, right? They, they controlled everything that they wanted. Their armies were not defeatable in battle. They could do anything they wanted to do, and everybody knew their empire would last forever because it was the most amazing, impressive military force the world had ever seen. It's impressive. Now, for the Greeks, the most impressive thing was not the big buildings. Uh, it was their philosophy, it was their wisdom. Okay, the Greeks in the time of Paul, they boasted that the Romans might have conquered them militarily, but they had conquered the Romans culturally. Okay, the language spoken throughout the world wasn't Latin, it was Greek. Okay, the Greek language, the Socratic arguments, the Aristotelian thinking, okay, Platonic worldviews, those are all things that the Greeks had given to the world and they dominated the cultural elite. Epicureanism and Stoicism dominated conversations. The brightest minds in the world debated all these existential questions of life and love, and they did so because of a Greek worldview and mindset. The intellectual achievements of the Greeks are extremely impressive. You think about it, hundreds of years before Jesus, they figured out that the world was round, and they had a really close approximation of how far we were from the sun. That's impressive. The Jews, though, were different. Uh, The Jews were not impressed by the same things as the Greeks or the Romans. They looked down on all those pagans around them because, after all, they had a personal revelation from the God of Israel. They were his children. And they went back in their scriptures and they read all about how our God had done amazing things, impressive things. He parted the Red Sea. He brought ten plagues on the mightiest nation on earth. They read stories about how the prophets like Elijah raised the dead and ended droughts. You want to know what's impressive? It's not building a big building or a pyramid or anything like that. What's impressive is when the God of the universe comes to this world and acts in power. You want to see something impressive? See what our God can do. Okay, I have one point this morning. Uh, Guess what it is, right? Yeah, don't be impressed by the wrong stuff. All right, our passage in Scripture this morning is rather long, uh, but it's one thought. I couldn't figure out how to break this up into smaller pieces, but I want you to notice we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, how Paul addresses this very specific issue of what do you find impressive, and you better make sure it's the right thing. Okay, notice starting in verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Okay, another word for that there would be miracles. Okay. And Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, 
And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Okay, so notice what he starts off with. He says, look at what all the world is looking for, what all the world thinks is impressive. The Greeks think it's wisdom. The Jews think it's all these miraculous signs. What do we do? We preach Jesus. You want to know what's impressive? It's Jesus. Okay, and then he moves and he says, okay, now think about who you are, who you were. Okay, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. I love how Paul can insult somebody so eloquently that they don't realize just how deeply they're being insulted. This is great. He says, all this is true so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Okay, in other words, how, how good a job did you do of saving yourself? How impressive were you? Yeah, not very. Why are you righteous? Why are you holy? Why do you have access to any kind of wisdom at all? Uh, guess what? It's because God gave it to us, right? Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, and rhetorically, Paul is brilliant here. Okay, Paul is a really smart guy. Uh, okay, so I can read just a little bit of Greek. I had to study quite a bit of it more than I wanted to in school, and I can read it a little bit. I'm by no means an expert. But people who are experts tell me that here in this paragraph, Paul has written extremely eloquently. Okay, this is one of the best rhetorical pieces we have from the entire ancient world. And you notice what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, by the way, all that Greek rhetoric and philosophy, that's not that impressive. And he does so using some of the greatest rhetoric and philosophy from the ancient world. Right? It's hilarious. It's supposed to be funny. Okay, so Paul has demonstrated his mastery of Greek wisdom in a paragraph talking about how Greek wisdom isn't that impressive. All right, also, you look at some of the miracles that Paul did. Go read the book of Acts. See the kinds of things Paul was doing. Paul literally raised people from the dead. Okay, if anybody was really impressive with his miracles after Jesus, it's Paul, right? He did things only Jesus could do. And then he, in this paragraph, says, by the way, all those miraculous things, all those miracles, that's not that impressive. All right, if anyone was qualified to say that Greek wisdom and philosophy and miraculous signs aren't that impressive, it's a guy like Paul who's mastered both of those fields. Okay, Paul is a really smart guy. He can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the smartest philosophers in the world. He's better written than they are. He can do miracles that only Jesus can do. And yet Paul says the only thing that is impressive to him is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to be impressed? Look at lives transformed. You want to be impressed? Look at the marriages that are restored in church. Okay, look at people who used to grab as much as they can get now sharing with the poor. Okay, look at people facing persecution and even death with confidence. Okay, you want to see something impressive? Okay, earlier this week, I had a conversation with a 10-year-old boy that we're going to baptize later today. Uh, and one of the things that he said to me is he goes, you know what? I just want to follow Jesus. That's impressive. 
All right. So what's wrong with the impressive things in our world? Okay, why do we so often forget this? Why do we so often get off track and start thinking about other things instead of what's really most important and central to our lives? Okay, I've got four things. If you're taking notes, you can write these on the spaces provided on your bulletin. Okay, but what's wrong with the impressive things of our world? All right, number one, uh, the impressive things don't last. Okay, the impressive things of this world don't last. You know, the Romans were convinced uh, that their empire would last forever. Uh, they thought that their impressive buildings were as big as it could get. They were going to be there forever. Uh, they could not envision a day in which the most popular sports stars weren't their gladiators and their chariot racers. Okay, but what happened to their mighty empire? Can you go visit the Roman Empire today? No. Uh, what happened to all their major buildings? Okay, you can visit the Colosseum, but there's large portions of it you can't get into because uh, they're blocked off from people getting in because they're not stable anymore, right? The big buildings didn't last. Uh, how many gladiators and chariot racers can you name? Matthew might can name one or two, but that's about it, right? You know, I remember in 2001, in the spring, I got to go on a field trip with my school to New York City. I had just graduated high school, and my choir took a trip to New York City, and it was a lot of fun. And the first picture off of my camera roll was standing right between the Twin Towers, looking straight up, taking a picture. Okay, those were the biggest buildings I've ever seen in my life. They were massive, very impressive, and I thought, surely these things will be here forever. Four months later, they came down. Okay? We all live in a pretty impressive country. Uh, I hope it lasts for a whole lot longer. I think it probably will. Uh, but I think we're all aware enough of history to realize that this country may not be here in another generation or two, right? That could happen. Things we think are so impressive, things we think are going to be here for all time, could easily be gone. And also in our culture, just like in the Roman culture, uh, we put a lot of stock in our sports stars, Okay, but who thinks that in a thousand years they're going to remember the rules of basketball or football? Okay. Uh, I guarantee you in a thousand years, no one's going to care who LeBron James was. No one's going to care who Aaron Rodgers was. I guarantee you no one will care who Nick Saban was. It will not be a thing. No one will care who Nick Saban was, Randy Garner. It's not going to be important. No one will remember Bear Bryant either. Not a thing. They might remember Lincoln Riley, but that's a different, different thing. All right. We're impressed by the wrong stuff. We are. We spend our lives chasing the wrong stuff. We spend our lives chasing all the stuff that is not going to last. Okay, but you know from Paul's day, the kingdom that is still in existence, it's the kingdom of God. Uh, and nobody can name the top chariot racer from Paul's day. Uh, but everybody knows the name of Jesus and Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. There's a lot of people we can name from that era, and they're all Christians, and none of them were these big impressive people from the Roman world. Yeah. We need to make sure that we're impressed by the right stuff. All right, number two. Part of the problem with the impressive things of this world, especially as we get into the philosophy, uh, is that what everybody knows changes. 
Okay, what everybody knows, notice I've got that in quotation marks, right? What everybody knows changes. You know, back in Paul's day, everybody knew uh, that there were lots of gods. And it was really important that you kept any of them from getting angry at you because then they might punish you. So you needed to make sacrifices to lots of different gods just to make sure no one would get angry with you. Okay, everybody in the ancient world knew that happiness comes from controlling your emotions, right? There's two big schools of thought. One school of thought says you have to just give in to all of your emotions and that'll make you happy. The other school of thought said you have to deny all your emotions and that'll make you happy. But everybody knew it was one of those two paths was the true path to happiness. Everybody knew that. Everybody also in Paul's day knew that slavery was natural and normal and right, and that's the way the world worked. Everyone knew it. Okay, everyone knew that the Roman way of doing things was the right way of doing things. Everybody knew it. Okay, what happened to all those things that everyone knew? Yeah, we don't have them anymore. Okay, in our day, most everybody knows that the highest virtue is tolerance. Okay, we seem to tolerate each other and be okay with what everybody else is doing and that'll be fine, right? We all know that. Okay, everybody knows that the true key to happiness is not controlling your emotions, it's sexual freedom, right? Everybody in our world knows that today. Okay, everybody knows a whole lot of stuff in our culture that we know better, right? Uh, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I think it's extremely valid. Uh, but if you look at TV shows from like 60 years ago, you know, go back to the 1950s and look at what's on TV, you can tell just how much our values have changed since then, okay, both for good and for ill, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff, like some of the family values that we've lost. There's also other values that have gotten a lot better, the way we treat people who aren't exactly like us, right? Uh, the example I used several weeks ago was smoking. It used to be everybody everywhere anytime, right? And now we've gotten away from that. And we look back at shows from 60 years ago and we think, man, they live so differently than we do. Their values were different, Okay, so fast forward 60 years from today, okay, and look at what my great-great-grandkids are going to be doing, okay, and they're going to be looking back at my day going, man, their values were totally different than ours, okay, but we can't see how they're going to look back at us and say, wow, they were weird back then, right? And what we all tend to do is we look at our generation and we look at where we are today and we think, man, we've really arrived, and we lose sight of the fact that it won't be too many years down the road that people will look back at us and think, man, they had some things just dead wrong, right? I don't know how it's going to change, but our values in the world around us will be different in 60 years than they are today for both good and for ill, okay? I believe that. So I think it's a little arrogant for us to say, well, we know stuff now. Okay, you know, just the other day, Luke told me, he said, Dad, there are eight planets in the solar system. A really long time ago, there were nine planets in the solar system. Yeah, son, a really long time ago, it was all different, right? Yeah, back when I was a kid, there were nine planets and four oceans, okay? Today, there's five oceans and eight planets, and none of the physical stuff actually changed, right? Okay, but again, what everybody knows changes, Okay, the impressive knowledge of the world changes, right? And if that's where you're going to put your anchor, uh, you've got it in the wrong place. Okay, you know what hasn't changed knowledge-wise? Okay, when the Bible says, here's how to have a good marriage, that's been the same for over 2,000 years. Okay, when the Bible says you should live like Jesus if you want to be happy, that hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. Okay, when the Bible says, here's how to actually live your life in a way that's pleasing to God, that hasn't changed. 
Okay, where are you going to put your anchor? On the common knowledge in our world today that's constantly shifting or in the word of God where he said, here's how it is? Okay? What everybody knows changes. All right, number three. Being an impressive person doesn't make you a wise person. All right, and this is part of what Paul is hitting really hard because so much of what's going on in this church in Corinth, they're having all of these problems uh, because they're chasing after the wrong kinds of wisdom. They see these impressive people and think, oh, I'm going to be like that. And Paul's trying to hammer home to them. He says, okay, just being an impressive person doesn't necessarily make you a wise person. All right, so some reminders about wisdom. Again, we've talked about this before, but I think we often lose sight of this. Uh, But being wise and smart are not the same thing. A lot of really smart people in the world who are not very wise. There's a lot of people with a whole lot of wisdom uh, who wouldn't do extremely well on an IQ test, right? Being wise and smart are not the same thing. Okay? Similarly, wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. You can know a whole lot of stuff. You can memorize the entire Bible like the Pharisees did and still not be a very wise person, right? Uh, also, wisdom and age are not the same thing. I like to think that I am wiser now than I was 10 years ago and that I'll be wiser in 10 years than I am today. Okay, but we've also known lots of older people who didn't have a lot of wisdom. And we've seen some younger people who are saying already, man, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life and, and, and show tremendous wisdom with their lives. Fair enough? All right. We've all known people who are very clever, very well educated, very smart by worldly standards, have lots of life experience, uh, and yet they're not very much like Jesus at all. Right? Paul's point is having an impressive resume doesn't make you wise. Now, again, this is not an argument for being anti-intellectual. Right? Paul is very much an intellectual. Paul uses his education to great effect. Right? But he realizes what's most important. He knows where godly wisdom comes from. He says it's about following Jesus. Okay, we start by following Jesus. We keep that first, and everything else has to come after that. You know, Just like being smart doesn't make you wise, Uh, Being talented doesn't make you wise either. You may be a gifted athlete. You may be a phenom musician. uh, You may be super attractive like some of us. uh, You may have a gift at making money, right? You may have all kinds of gifts. Lots of us have lots of different gifts, okay? But that's not the same as having wisdom. And yet what we tend to do in our world is we look at people who are gifted and we think, oh, I'm going to follow that gifted person, okay? But being gifted and being wise are not the same thing. We need to make sure we're following wisdom and not gifts. Does that make sense? Okay. So I don't care what the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons tells me I should spend my money on, right? That's not my guide. Okay. My guide is Jesus Christ. Fair enough? I don't know that Matt Ryan's ever told me what to buy with my money, but that's what came to mind. And you know, if I'm being honest, though, I want to be impressive, right? I want people to hear my sermons and think, wow, you're good at that. Hasn't happened yet, but I'm working on it, right? Okay, I want to be attractive, right? I want to be impressive to other people. I want to be respected. I want to be thought of someone who's competent and reliable and clever, right? I certainly don't want to be unimpressive, okay? I don't want to meet people and have them walk away thinking, ah, there's nothing real special there. I don't know why that's funny, But so often what we do is we look at the world's definition of success and we think, I want to do that. 
I want to be successful by the world standards, and we chase that with our lives, and then we realize we lost wisdom somewhere along the way, okay? Our goal, our definition of success, if we're going to be successful as Christians, has to look different than the world's definition of success. And Paul is telling us, you really want God's definition of success? It looks like the cross of Jesus. What does it mean for us to follow in the ways of Jesus? You know, Paul was a very impressive man, uh, but because he was so well-grounded in Jesus, he didn't have to chase all the world's definition of success. You know, I'm thinking about back when I was in Texas, uh, the richest man in the entire county that we lived at, he ran this huge business. He was fabulously wealthy. He had more money than most of us could ever spend in our lifetime, okay? Really rich guy. Went to a church with us there. And the best story I ever heard from him is the story of how one time he went, and just so the story makes sense, he drove around in an old pickup truck with coveralls and still ran his cattle the way he always had when he was younger. Okay, and so he sees a bum on the side of the road, and he gives a bum a $5 bill out of his wallet saying, hey, buddy, here, maybe this will help you out. The bum looks him up and down and says, dude, I think you need this more than I do, and gave him the $5 back. I love that story, okay? But here's the thing about that old rich guy. He was so well-grounded in who he was, he didn't have to chase after what the world told him success looked like. He was comfortable in who he was. He was comfortable in what he was doing. He was chasing after the right stuff. He didn't have to chase what the world told him was success. Okay, if we are well-grounded in who we are as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God, as loved children of God Almighty as our Father, Okay, then I don't have to care so much about being impressive to all the other people in the world. If I know my identity as a child of God, then I don't have to chase what the world tells me success looks like. That's wisdom. All right. Number four. This is where we've been going this whole time. As Paul tells us, he says, if you really just look at the truth for the first time, if you really look at Jesus, you look at the story of the cross, initially, it's not all that impressive. Uh, he says, if you're hearing the gospel story for the first time and you're hearing a guy came, he was a carpenter, lived on the wrong side of town, born away from any semblance of power, he goes and he dies on a cross. Okay, if we start there, that doesn't sound all that impressive. But then if we realize, you know what though happened next? On the third day, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. Through that shedding of his blood, he brought us life. If we get to the point where Jesus conquers death, we realize that's the most impressive story ever told. That's the impressive thing. That's what's worth living my life for. That's what I want to do with the rest of my life. Fair enough? All right. Uh, at this time in our service, we are going to sing an invitation song. And during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. This is a time where we as the church want to be here for you. Uh, we would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. We'd love to talk with you more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.